In rough times, I go to I go straight to that broccoli. <laughs> we can we can deal with a child. I used to hate meal times. It was a hobby that sort of got out of control. Hi Lucy. Hi again. And it's still raining because it's Britain. It never ends. Um, Never. So, where did you find my kitchen earlier, you see? Um, this has been a highlight of my. Well, no, there's been some good things in my day, but this has been a, a quite highlight. Camille, I've just discovered, is the owner of a um, Duke and Duchess of Cambridge second child commemorative cake tin. Um, yeah, and in case you're not aware. She is in her 20s. She is not someone's grandma. And I bought it. <laughs> and she spent money on it. As an intern, um, which is so So this... Um, so that's why I still have it. It's just I feel so bad buying it that I... Uh... I just... I mean, I can't believe that you were an intern and you spent your hard-earned money on a Prince... What's her name? Princess Charlotte commemorative yeah. cake tin. I know. Has it got Princess Charlotte's face on it? No. No, so no, do you just... think that they like made the cake tin and designed it before they knew? She's more patriotic than I am, honestly. It does not even have a date on it. No, basically you've been one. you've been conned so hard that the biscuits were absolutely smashing. So it's uh, it's nice and um, yellow. It's got like a this. This is so weird. This is not like even a, official. Duke and Duchess of Cambridge merch, is it? This is, like, made up by a... M&S. M&S. So it's got a picture of, like, a Cinderella carriage oh, on sorry, the front. It's yes, sir, <laughs> which is quite weird. And a picture of a rabbit and a bear. The bear's wearing a crown. The rabbit is not. It says, Many congratulations and warm wishes to the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge on the birth of their beautiful baby, Spring 2015. <laughs> Royal Baby Day, Mark Two. I remember it was um, nice weather. It was yes, um, <laughs> and I was in a garden when we were talking about baby names, and then it was revealed. Yeah, and then the following day, I went back from work and I stopped at Abenes. And you got your cake tin. I got my cake tin. Looking back, definitely not the best use of my money. I mean, however, I am made. I mean, I've had it since uh, four years. Yeah, it's a long, so, long and I've time. stored my tea in it for four years. Yeah, it's full of tea, which is equally as patriotic. You are so. truly assimilating to British culture, aren't you, Camille? Lucy, am I British enough? You're more British than I am. <laughs> tea and biscuit tins and royalty. Mm. Yes, you are. Speaking of biscuits. Yes. Who are we talking to today? Uh. I can't even remember, but can I just tell you what I was doing on Royal Baby Name Day? Yes. So I um, had a very strong hunch, I'm not lying, well this is true, um, that the baby was going to be called Charlotte, Diana. I had such a strong hunch about this that I went on like Ladbrokes or somewhere um, to place a bet um, and I couldn't work out how to do it because I could only put in one name. So then I was going to have to go into a betting shop to place it as Charlotte Diana. And I didn't because I was busy getting ready to go to Kempton Park Racecourse. Um, He's so feminine class. 
which I wore um, a blue, light blue floor length maxi dress on what I hadn't realised was <laughs> Kempton Park Racecourse Family Day Frozen themed. Oh, yeah. Brilliant idea, Lucy. <laughs> Had Elsa. Hi, Elsa. So, um, I was running around Kempton Park placing bets. I had my champagne. There's a picture of me covered in champagne. Um, and um, certain people are convinced that I have um, ruined some children for life. <laughs> because <laughs> Elsa was drunk. Drunk and Elsa <laughs> running around a race course, <laughs> drinking all the pims, drinking the place out of champagne, squealing about how she'd won £17. So speaking of biscuits, as we weren't, the interviewee for the interviewee for this week, they're not even biscuits. I thought they were like icy. <laughs> no, speaking of biscuits, the interviewee for this week has nothing to do with biscuits. <laughs> um, like they are called made of not doubles. They are called they're called so the business is called Simply Trios. Yes, and the company um, is was launched by. Adam Barlow, who is not from Coronation Street, not Ken Barlow's son. You're not really British. Do you think they will call me past I mean, I wouldn't. Oh, I don't know, actually. I feel like they, it's quite likely that Coronation Street questions should come up in a citizenship test. Check. Is there, like, a citizenship DVD, like, you can get a theory test? I think books. Cool. Because, um... Is there an app? We did that with John, didn't we? Yeah, Lucy's boyfriend for the purpose of the podcast, who is a graduate in Masters got of a, he's got History of Churches. <laughs> he's not specifically <laughs> History of Churches. He's got um, a Masters in Medieval History and um, <laughs> did the... <Same. laughs> did um, the British citizenship test on maybe BuzzFeed and... Um, has flagged that one of the questions about castles is actually it's wrong. Inaccurate. So, did call himself the one of the uh, premier people who would know about castles or something because he does study them somewhat. Yeah. So, is that um, why you went to war with castle? We did like castles. Yeah, basically. Okay. We just like we like castles. I like castles too. Do you know as much as him? Absolutely not. <laughs> Um, Back to biscuits. A little bit. <laughs> nothing to do with biscuits. Cool. So, this chat with Adam Barlow has got nothing to do with biscuits, but just touch on some really interesting concepts. We talked about a lot of stuff. We've talked about the dangers of the concept of clean eating, clean eating versus bad foods, um, and how that kind of binary when it comes to food can lead to binging and ultimately to bad cycles it's very difficult to get out of he's basically saying that healthy food doesn't lead to healthy relationship with food yeah that is um quite an interesting um angle to take because it's obviously very different to the sort of standard refrain of wellness and you know clean clean plate clean mind da 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 and like obviously it's very, very important to be aware that that can also go the other way. So that's what we're talking about. And also, it's very refreshing to hear a man talk about body issues. So Adam is also a bodybuilder, as well as an entrepreneur, and how that kind of tied in, and how men can really suffer from um, sort of disordered eating and these bad habits too, which 
I think is something that is not discussed enough. Um, also, we ask the ultimate question, what would you rather take to a desert island? <laughs> Ice cream? Or lentils? We'll leave you to mull on that one. Hiya, hi. Hi, Adam. Hi. Could you start by telling us a bit about yourself and your business? My name's Adam. I graduated from university in uh, 2017, having studied geography. When I originally went to university, I sort of had the idea that I was going to go off into a management consultancy job or like a typical grad role. And then being at university, having studied and having met new people, I kind of realised that's not what I wanted. I just focused on my studies, really, and not worried about after university. Uh, and then I graduated, and then all of a sudden I was thrown out into the big bad world. I was like, okay, I have no idea what I'm meant to be doing. Uh, the classic sort of existential crisis. And so I spent a year and a half working in sort of menial jobs, such as I was a delivery driver for Iceland, I worked in Sainsbury's, I worked in Waitrose, until I could sort of find the job that I really wanted. But it never materialised, uh, or I didn't have the qualifications needed to go into the jobs I wanted. I'd always had an inkling that I wanted to start a business because mm-hmm. I knew that running a business ticked a lot of the boxes I wanted a job to offer me, such as autonomy, creative independence, um, controlling your own hours. Just it was like the magic, the magic answer. But I didn't really know what I could create a business out of. I wasn't some sort of tech geek. I wasn't a software nerd. Um, I didn't have a huge amount of experience in the business world, so I couldn't set up a consultancy firm or a marketing company. But um, I had been making these little confectionery balls for about, I want to say about 10 years, actually. The original version was about was started about 10 years ago. Um, and it all I'd all started really good when a friend had brought some sweets into school and I'd asked her what they were and she would tell me the recipe. Eventually... Got what I actually thought was even better than the original product. People had often said, like, oh, you should sell these, or why don't you try and take them to, like, markets and stuff. And I always sort of dismissed it as uh, people just being nice and friendly, because it was always friends and family, or it was always, like, a, a charity event. And it got to the point where it was like, okay, well, I'm looking for a business idea. I've got this thing in front of me. Why don't we run with it? Let's see if it's something feasible, see if it works. So I started what is now Simply Trios in June of... 2018 so yeah, yeah. Just, just over just under a year ago and ever since then it's been great yeah we've been growing um selling online now and getting into little independent delis and retailers so we usually try and go back to some memories what is your earliest food memory i am um, i think a lot of people say they have these uh clear instances oh i remember my first memory i remember this for me i don't really have like a clear oh, i remember this was my first ever food memory but First thing that comes to mind is sitting in um, my hallway in we, where we first lived, which was Walsall. My mom bringing me a bottle of warm milk. Um, so it was very much uh, feelings of comfort and security and safety. And uh, do you have a specific food memory that reminds you of your childhood? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, I wouldn't say it's specific, but it was my mom cooking like um, often like kind of sweets and snacks that often be waiting for us when we come home from school specifically she made what i call or what she called eddie yo-yos i'm not sure if this is like a popular thing but they were uh little pieces of shortbread which we would imprint forks on and then there'd be a chocolate paste in between and it's actually really simple they probably don't taste incredible but 
I remember them just tasting absolutely amazing when I was a kid. And was there a single moment you knew you actually wanted to do that? Was there like that light bulb moment? Not really. I, I mean, it actually probably came after I'd started. There wasn't a moment when I was like, yeah, I've got to get to food. But actually having gone to events and having met people through selling food and making food and watched people's reaction when they tried something which was really tasty, something they never had before, it created this sort of instant bond. Not, I won't say bond. Bond's a bit of a too strong word, but a connection which allowed you to communicate. Exactly, and yeah. communicate with people. And often, I think in this digital era, it's quite hard to find something like that outside of a phone or a swipe on Tinder. So to find something <laughs> where you can immediately connect with someone is really precious. So what do you like most about running your business in the food oh, sector? Um, definitely got to be meeting new people. The food sector, the food industry is quite a hard environment to work in. Um, it's very time consuming and there's pressures and stresses. So when I say meeting people, I don't necessarily mean buyers or suppliers. I mean actual customers. And I think the reason I still focus so much on doing events and going to them myself is because you actually get to meet people face to face and have a conversation with them and get feedback. And that's, I think, one of the most rewarding things. And then also slightly... It's it's really challenging. I think more so than any other industries you could potentially create a business in. You're having to think about so many different things. You're having to be involved in so many different things. And I've always liked challenge. So I think, yeah, I really enjoy that side of it too. So what's the most challenging thing then you find at the moment? Probably, probably pushing your product out there. I think because people are so bombarded with all these different food choices, it's really hard to stand out first place mm -hmm. and even if you have a new product I think people are quite reluctant to try something or they'll dismiss it as something they already know so it's one's getting your name out there but two it's then pushing it and following up with potential buyers so like at the moment we do a lot of direct selling to the customer which is great but you're limited in the scale in terms of how many you can sell so we are trying to sell to wholesalers or bigger buyers and the issue with that is it's it you lose that face-to-face -face contact and it becomes very impersonal which I don't enjoy um and it becomes a case of like you're nagging them like you're having to follow up to follow up and it's that, that I don't want to do that like I don't want to be like pestering someone saying do you want to buy it do you want to buy it because actually at the end of the day I would like them to buy it because they really, really like the product it. and it's yeah. it's nice and enjoyable and they taste it and they think it's worthy and there's a benefit to them and the consumer the customer what is your personal relationship with food and has it evolved over time? I mean, you know when you see like Facebook status relationships saying it's complicated? Yeah. It is. When I was a kid, I had a really simple relationship with food. It was, I liked something, I ate it. I wasn't worried about what it looked like. I wasn't worried about the nutritional content. It was a little bit chubby. I was absolutely fine with that. Um, and then I think as is the case with a lot of people, you get into secondary school, People start commenting on like, oh, you've got a bit of food fatness and you become very body aware and self-conscious. And so I think part of that, I got into um, weightlifting. So I've also got a background in uh, fitness and natural bodybuilding. Um, and originally that just started as a case to lose weight, but I kind of got very addicted um, and I sought like um, personal training with uh, a company um, who were great at achieving results. But through that, I developed a rather unhealthy relationship with food in that I saw some foods as really good, like hashtag quote-unquote clean foods, um, and other foods as quote-unquote bad. And what would often happen is I would, you know, religiously stick to these clean foods of like meat and vegetables, like no carbs, healthy fats, yada, yada, yada. 
And then I would end up binging on some really unhealthy foods over mm. the weekend and then all then feel really bad afterwards. And it would just create this horrible yo-yo of clean versus bad. And so I moved on to a different sort of nutritional dietary approach, which is in the fitness world is called flexible dieting or if it fits your macros, where you basically, it's also religious in the sense that you track everything you eat and weigh it out and you track it through apps like MyFitnessPal. In that sense, it allowed me to get away from good versus bad foods. The, the idea being everything's okay to eat as long as it's in uh, reasonable proportions. It's all, it's all relative. Um, if you want a bit of a chocolate cake, you can have a bit of chocolate cake. If you don't want a bit of chocolate cake, have some apps and it's fine. But with that, I got to a point where I was trying to see how much unhealthy food I could get in while sticking to my macros. So be like, okay, I've, I've got X amount of calories left for the day. I'm going to have that. I'm going to have that. And then at the end of the day, I'll be having this huge meal of all this unhealthy food. And I would then not be able to go out. I wouldn't be able to eat with friends because I was like, oh, I don't know what the macros are and that. I don't know what's family fats and calories in it. And so in one sense, I substituted one unhealthy relationship with, with food another. with another. So I'd sort of solved the problem by introducing another problem. And it's now got to the point where I'm still mindful of food and I'm trying to edge away from this flexible dieting approach and move away from tracking all my foods. Because with uh, fitness competitors, you have like an on-season and an off-season. And with the off-season at the moment, you can be much more relaxed and mm -hmm. flexible. So trying to go back to what I was like as a kid where I just ate because I liked it. I ate till I was full. And that's actually something, one of the reasons I've set up Simply Trios was to try and promote a very simple, that, that message that it's okay to treat yourself like it's, you should have a simple relationship with food. It's been that way for hundreds of years. I don't know why it's changed now. And we're always encouraged to have like healthy, eat healthily, but everyone ignores the mental side of that relationship with food. And yes, great, you're eating healthily, but what's that doing for your mental outlook on food? And I think actually for a lot of us, including myself, eating healthily is great, but has a dark side of actually then have a really unhealthy mental relationship with food because yeah. you see things as, oh, that's healthy, oh, that's unhealthy. I mean, it shouldn't be like that. So yeah, as you can tell, very complicated. I'm still working on it. I think I will do for a very, very long time. But I think the key part is appreciating and recognising you have that problem. And do you have a favourite food smell? And what does that represent? Yeah, I think it's, it's, I don't know if this would count as food, but it's, it's got to be coffee. Um, again, when I was... We'll accept that one. <laughs> <laughs> when, yeah, back, I think a lot of things go back to when you're a child and what these, uh, because food and smells, it's very kind of, evokes memories. So like you can be walking through a place and you hear a noise or a smell, mm. and immediately you're transported mm. to a different uh, memory from ages ago that you weren't even thinking about. And for me, my dad was, was a massive coffee fanatic. He'd have this process in the morning where, He'd come down, make his espresso, sit down, sip it, and his like reaction would be one of like ecstasy as if it was some sort of what well, it is. And I never liked coffee as a kid, and I still sometimes have to force it down myself if I'm feeling tired. But the smell of just waking up in the morning and the warmth of the kitchen, yeah. and even when you go into a coffee shop in London and it's wet outside or it's sunny, you have that, that fresh smell of freshly ground coffee yeah. beans and brewed coffee. It's just, it invokes so many lovely memories of safety and security that I'm going to say that's probably my favourite food as well, yeah. And do you think you've got a food that you'd, you'd go to when you're, you're struggling? Because of my background with food and how I, my relationship with it, I tend not to like to look at food as a, a comfort, comfort thing mm -hmm. because you can sort of spiral down a deep yeah. rabbit hole there. I think 
But at the moment, I do have food, uh, a food item, which is just a simple bowl of oats and porridge. It's simple. It's it fills me up. It's warm. Yeah, I, I always have a. I usually have a bowl before I go to bed. Actually, it's a note of breakfast food, but I usually have a bowl before I go to bed because it relaxes and calms me. Do you think that food can bring communities together? It's something we share with each other on a daily basis. Um, you just look at what happens after uh, a natural catastrophe or an attack of some kind, and immediately it's people sharing food or donating food um, or cooking food. And you look at the happiness it brings to people, um, even when you meet someone for the first time and you're sharing this and you, it allows conversation to flow. Um, so, yeah, I think food, if anything, is probably one of the most powerful things that can bring people together. Do you think that conversation that, that you're trying to have around mental health and the way we see food is also mm. something that can bring people together because it's it's something we don't necessarily talk yeah, about. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think you're right. I never really thought of it like that. Um, because, yeah, mental health up till now or up till recently has often been a very unspoken about topic and mm -hmm. if not stigmatised. Yeah. Um, and putting that alongside something that is very out there, i.e. food, and combining the two, yeah, it would provide a platform which would allow you to talk about these things much more easily. Um, and I think... The emotions surrounding food and mental health are so strong. I think when you meet someone uh, and you connect with someone who has similar mm. outlooks or similar relationship with food, it can be extremely powerful. Yeah. And how do you think food can change the world then? It's evident that the power of food to change the world is just infinite. Um, unfortunately, I think I would say food has changed the world for the, the worse, okay. um, in the sense of how we produce it. And I think if we, if we look at how we produce our food, um, in one sense... Food could change the world just from a climate change perspective. If we we got rid of intensive farming methods and um, we looked at sourcing more ag local organic produce, that'd be great. But I think actually where food can most make a difference is if we attribute agency to our food, if that makes sense. So there's, a, there's an Italian philosopher called Giorgio Agamben and he speaks about how by dehumanizing animals, it creates this inhuman object which we can treat in a horrible um, unemotional way and consciously or subconsciously we use that to treat humans in the same way mm -hmm. um, and I think it's the same with um, it could be applied to plants we see these things as just something to buy, provide mm -hmm. us with food something to nourish us but not actually as living things we are in a very dominant exploitative position and I think if we treat these things as living beings that we live alongside and cultivate and actually have a relationship with not only would that speak volumes for how we treat each other uh, and i think conflict in the world would go it'd make a massive impact in terms of pollution our health all things that are on the kind of the media and the, the political agenda today but i just don't I, i think most people don't have that insight into how food mm -hmm. can be viewed talking about how food is viewed Is there something that you would make for a friend who is going through a rough time? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've actually done this a couple of times before, actually. It would be a cake, but not just like any cake. It would just, it would be like, I'd probably hopefully know this friend. If I'm making them food to make them feel better, I'd know them well enough to know what they like. So it'd be a cake of their favorite flavor. Um, but again, I repeat, going back to my going back to my childhood, when I was a kid, for my birthday, my mom would make these incredible birthday cakes, but she'd like shape them into loads of cool things. So like one year she made a pirate ship, which I kid you not, is like was a football pitch, a rock climbing wall, 
the the response you get from someone when you've made them a cake, not only in their favorite flavor, but in a shape or in an object that resembles something they really enjoy. It could be just be like a book. It's really nice. And I've yet to meet someone who doesn't like cake. On to the very difficult question mm-hmm. of what food you'd bring to a desert island. Oh, I know. Uh, look. I, I don't know whether I should just sort of be really sort of cliche and say like ice cream because ice cream's great and you're on a desert island, you're hot, you want something to cool you down. It's just, you know, again, I love I, I love ice cream. It doesn't. Then my practical fitness, nutritional side of me comes in and sort of says, well, okay, you want to get some protein and some carbs. So I think maybe like lentils actually. And I know it sounds quite boring, but actually I've cooked with lentils a lot in the past. What is your most powerful food memory? When I was, uh, I think it must have been when I was 18, and uh, I decided to go, like, hashtag travelling. Um, and I had originally meant to go out with a friend who cancelled the last minute. But uh, one of the destinations I went to was uh, the Philippines. It's made up of a bunch of different islands, one of which is Bohol, and the capital city, or the, the main city in Bohol is called Tagliabaran, I think. On the roadside was, like, really run down cafe and they were like locals were sitting there literally in like the little plastic chairs you get the kids and there was uh, kind of an old oil drum being steep and in, at the front there was just these massive plastic boxes full of like all sorts of weird stuff like chicken incestines and and you just went up picked what you wanted on the plate and they barbecued it for you and then you brought it over for you and it was like dirt cheap but it tasted amazing and sitting there by myself watching the world go by eating this really simple but cheap and taste and really good tasty food made by people literally who I was sitting there right with and chatting with just gave me this sense of real peace of knowing that it's okay to be with yourself and share memories at the same time with other people and that was really powerful for more from us visit at national student on twitter at The National Student on Instagram or search The National Student on Facebook. You think we've said as national student enough? Because if not, I can just add, you can also find us on thenationalstudent.com. Oh yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Deja Food. This podcast is produced by The National Student and hosted by Lucy Miller and Camille Dupont. Thanks to Alex Sweetman for coming up with our name. Music by Kevin McLeod, Quasi Motion. Our logo was designed by your host, Camille. <laughs>